Hello and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, or former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her particular occupation. Hello, our topic today is centered around helping employers avoid legal problems with their current and former employees. I call this episode the 10 smartest things employers can do to stay out of court. The good news is that if companies do these things, They become an employer of choice for job applicants, retain high-quality employees, and save money. And maybe, best of all, they put lawyers like me out of business. And who better to have as our guest than Julie Balke? She is president and chief strategist for the Balke Group, a Cincinnati-based company that helps people build their dream careers. Julie is a dynamic and highly interactive speaker. I've heard her. Uh, She's a trainer. She's a coach. She has a passion for educating and inspiring individuals that take charge of their careers. Hey, Julie, how you doing today? Great. I'm happy to be with you. Hey, Julie has been widely quoted in national publications, been featured on numerous radio shows, and is the careers and jobs expert on Cincinnati's Fox 19 TV. She's also frequently heard on 700 WLW Radio, and she's the host of Get Career Happy with Julie Balke on iHeartRadio, and the uh, careers blogger for LeaderCast, and she has her own podcast called The Evolved Career. Julie has seen it all. So I'm I'm getting tired just listening to you talk about that's I tell you what, Julie, we could talk all day about you, couldn't we have? We could. So, I, you know, we normally talk about employees and their rights on this show, Julie, but I thought we'd take a different tack today. You know, I've often joked that employers could put our firm out of business if they worried a little less about potential legal problems and just use some common sense when dealing with their employees. So I'd like to discuss with you how employers can be smart treat employees well, and eventually put me out of business. So what? Well, as they say, common sense ain't so common. So uh, we have our work cut out for us if we're trying to get people to use common sense. Absolutely. So, hey, um, what does the Balky Group do, Julie? We work with people in transition. 
people who either have been laid off, let go, or they themselves had have decided to begin a transition. So they look around and say, hmm, this place isn't for me or it isn't for me anymore. It could be because of poor leadership. It could be because of their own changing values and priorities. So we work with people who, who have decided or it's been decided for them that they need to be moving on to their next thing. That's a really good niche. You know, people should probably listen to your podcast, The Evolved Career. Uh, so how can employers put lawyers like me out of business? Well, you know, it's, it's um, it, 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 and the perspective I come from, and I know we normally talk about sort of from the employee side of the table, what their rights are, what we hear with our clients and with others that we interact with just because of what we do is we hear about the crazy things employers do in their employment relationship with the individual that put them at risk. And certainly we're not saying that every employee does the right thing all day long. Certainly there's a lot of cases where someone does need to be moved on from their role and from their company. But it's really about, so when you think about the employment relationship from the moment you start recruiting to when you hire that person, to the length of their time with you, whether that be six months, six years, or 30 years, up until the day when it's decided that they're going to move on, the opportunities for mistakes and for things that put an employer in peril, are it, they're all over the place. And it's really, you know, we, we talk about you know, a lot of times it's like, you know, treating people like you want to be treated, but I like the version of that that says treating people like they want to be treated and they need to be treated. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, instead of saying, I mean, you know, so, so, and, and leadership, it, and so the, the reasons when you look at from the day I start till the day I leave, it, the, the opportunities for uh, something to be done that puts the employer at risk, anything from the way they're hired, the questions they're asked when being hired, how they're treated uh, for promotional opportunities or in employee relations matters, or when they file a complaint, or when there's an issue that needs to be resolved to the performance management system, to what the person's told and how they're let go. All of those things can create a situation in which the person does not feel valued. And when we do not feel heard and valued, we may not like the decision the employer made, but I find when we work with people who've been let go from companies, if they felt heard and valued, they may not like the fact they were let go, but they can deal with it because they understand, even though it impacts them personally, it's a business decision. Where, where employers fall apart in terms of the people we talk to is the way they handle those delicate situations. And that's where people go, no, that's where people can't move on. And they look at it and say, that's when they're sitting at home watching TV in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> and, you know, the, the ads come on for, let, you know, let's sue your employer. And their friends start saying, that's not right what they said to you. That's not right what they did to you. And if you're ripe for that kind of conversation, if you're open to that and you're just waiting for some somebody to agree with you and give you the number of their brother-in-law who's, who's an attorney, as a company, you've unnecessarily put yourself at risk. 
Yeah, you know, Julie, I often say most people come to see me because of the way they're treated uh, when they're terminated. Yeah. You know, you talk about treating people as they would like to be treated, but then they're escorted off the property or the employer fights unemployment or they give them little or no severance. And that's just going to aggravate the employee. You know, many employees have been with companies for 10, 20 years. I've got an employee who came to me a couple weeks ago. He was with a pretty large outfit, 28 years. Walked in one day. They told him they no longer need him. He says, well, are you going to give me any severance? And they say, no. What, what's he going to do? He, exactly. He's going to call somebody like me. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's, it, so, so it's not, so there's, there's a, you know, the, the, there's a school of thought, I know, that some employers have that say, hey, after two weeks, we pay, you gave us two weeks work, we give you a paycheck. And we continue that one to two week cycle until one of us decides that it's no longer working for us anymore. And from a strictly logical standpoint, I understand that. But put on your human being hat. And to say to somebody, don't come back tomorrow, and oh, by the way, your paycheck, and even worse sometimes, your benefits end today, good luck to you, all that does is add fuel to the fire. So imagine if you said, look, this didn't work out um, for whatever reason, you know, and, and you've been here for three years, 28 years, whatever it is, we're going to keep you on the payroll and keep your benefits intact, even for 60 days. It gives people a chance. So think about it. If you get let go and they say, hey, your benefits end tonight at midnight, your whole family is probably potentially on your benefits plan. And you've got maybe children that are getting some, some treatment or in the middle of a process or your spouse is dealing with something. You have what you've done essentially is put their back against the wall unnecessarily. So what if you gave them a period of time in which they got a chance to get their act together? to find other arrangements, to look for some part-time work, to do some things to manage their lives. But when you do stuff like that, not only, you don't know, you don't have to, but it's heartless. It puts your organization at risk and it puts their back up against the wall. And when someone's back is against the wall, they're gonna strike. And that's when they come to see you or attorneys like you because they say, this isn't right. What can you do to make it right? Now, all of a sudden you've got a third party in the middle of it and the employer, for the cost of sometimes 60 days of pay and benefits, could have avoided something that's going to end up being much more costly than that would have been. Oh, yeah. The cost-benefit analysis is kind of ridiculous. Okay. So that's lesson number one, I guess, right, Julie? Uh, treat employees on the way out as they would like to be treated. I, I think just basically dignity and respect. Yeah. Treat them. Treat them on the way out. Let's put it another way, even. Treat them on the way out the way you treated them on the way in. <laughs> when you're trying to recruit them. Right. Right. Because, think, I mean, just from a purely recruiting standpoint, think about it. This person is going to go out into the market and people are going to say, well, I thought you were working for the ABC company. Yeah, so did I. Here's what happened. <laughs> spew, spew, spew. And then you are, you are then, you know, that word gets out. And when those people are looking for a potential employer, they're not going to go to the ABC company because the way you were treated. 
it, to me and to you, it's common sense, but we see it all the time. Well, let's shift focus then to how we tr- how employers treat people while they're employed. You know, we've talked about when they're being recruited. We've talked about when they're exiting the company. What can employers do while employees are with the company to avoid legal problems in the future? So there's so there's always going to be so it's anything from when you look at the kinds of moments within an employer employee relationship where things can go wrong. It's things like performance appraisals. Are you giving people the opportunity to have their say in what they did well, what they need to do better? Are you giving them fair and honest feedback? And beyond that, instead of just yield yearly performance appraisal, are you giving them feedback in real time so that when they have that performance appraisal and you're talking about the things they need to do better, it's not a surprise. Again, when people are surprised, their back's against the wall and their their first emotion is to resist and argue. So in those core moments like performance appraisals, you know, spread it out during the year. No one should ever be surprised by, by exactly. your feedback about how they're doing. That's one. The second is, what if you have an employee that comes to you and um, it's any sort of sexual harassment, any sort of harassment, bullying, any of those sort of things where their workplace is made to be less safe? You know, I, I say that, you know, it's it's when we look at, you know, let's say all these sexual harassment claims, I love the phrase, you know, that people need to be taken seriously um, until you have evidence that says that, you know, they need to be believed or not until you have evidence to the contrary. But every person's complaint to you should be taken seriously. You might look at it through your own filter and say, uh, they're just being a snowflake, or that's no big deal. And I find this especially happens in sexual harassment type complaints, where if I, as a woman, go to my male boss and tell him that Fred down the hall keeps leering at me and accidentally rush, brushing against me in the, you know, at, at the coffee pot, you know, <laughs> the temptation sometimes is to say, ah, you know, grow a pair, you know, get tough. Fred's, Fred's harmless. He's been doing that for 40 years. That's a problem <laughs> because you're not taking it seriously. And again, you know, take that to racial harassment, to, um, you know, anything that makes your workplace feel threatening or uncomfortable, how you handle that will absolutely determine whether or not you're opening yourself up to a lawsuit. And so as a manager, if someone comes to you and complains, don't try to handle it on your own. You know, go talk to human resources, talk to outside counsel, make sure that you aren't just running this through your own filter. Make sure that you're getting wise counsel on how to handle something because sometimes we're so we're so um, blinded by the way we see things. Um, as a woman, if I have a female employee come to me and says these things have happened, and if I've never had that happen to me, sometimes it's easy for me to disbelieve it because I've never seen it. And so taking people's, taking people seriously, listening to them, involving others, and really trying to address the issue in a way that the employee feels good about. So I always say, think about if your behavior was brought to a jury or a judge, or somebody who's, who can cause you to write a check, how would they see it? And we just don't, sometimes we get caught in our own echo chamber, and we just want to get it off our desk. So we just say, you know what, quit whining and go back to work. 
or we roll our eyes or we act like we're not taking them seriously. It's, it's in those moments that, again, you are opening yourself up and your organization to great liability, which may end up costing you your job. Yeah, you know, it, it always amazes me when I hear this employer say, well, it's a he said, she said, you know, Mary said that Hank was leering at her. He denies it. So what can we do? And I always say, well, what if what if Mary came down the hall and said, I just saw Joe take uh, $100 out of the cash register? And Joe said, I didn't do that. You think that would stop the inquiry? I mean, I don't know why people treat complaints about sexual harassment or racial harassment different than they would treat a, a complaint about theft. But, you know, hey, you also talked about performance reviews and make, making them honest. I also find this to be incredibly difficult for a lot of people. I think one of the reasons supervisors, managers, employers get into trouble is they kind of sugarcoat the performance review, and then two months later, they fire the person for poor performance. It doesn't make any sense. I, I tell people, don't do a performance review if you haven't trained your managers to do them honestly. You've got to give good, constructive feedback. So yeah, when it comes to performance reviews, I, I think that that's calling upon us to do something that's really uncomfortable, which is give bad news. Uh, we don't like to give bad news to our kids, our spouse, our friends, you know, people that we're in volunteer organizations with. We always sugarcoat. And, and so what we do a lot of times, or, or sometimes, here's my least favorite, you know, do a, you know, do a sandwich where you tell them something good, then give them the hard feedback, and then <laughs> tell them something else good. All you're doing is guaranteeing that they're not going to hear you. So when it comes to performance appraisals, I'm not surprised that people have a hard time giving feedback. But what happens is then you're, then they're surprised. Then, well, wait a minute, you didn't tell me that um, this department wasn't taking my work seriously because of this or that my data was not what people were looking for. Just thinking I'm going to figure it out through osmosis is really disrespectful. And, and so... Um, did you catch the recording when I talked about having my skirt tucked in my underwear? No. So it would be like, let's say I went through my day from eight to five and I had my skirt tucked in my underwear and I met with 20 people and none of them bothered to tell me that they could see my underwear. At the end of the day, I'm going to be upset with those 20 people for not telling me, but they don't tell me because they don't want to embarrass me. Well, um, hello. I'm just like way more embarrassed now. Um, that I had my skirt tucked in my underwear than if you'd bothered to tell me to start with. So take that to giving people feedback throughout the year. I'd rather know that when I give a presentation, I'm not answering people's questions in a way that helps them understand what I'm saying. I'd rather know that now than let me give six presentations and do it six times. And so the smaller bits of information we're giving the easier it is to get. So we, what we do is we avoid it. Then we get to the performance appraisal and it's like, boom, you know, you're dropping all this stuff on people and they have no idea. They have no idea what was going on. So again, they're backed against the wall. What about warnings and things like that during employment, Julie? Should those, those things uh, be put in writing? Should they be oral conversations? How do you- both. I mean, I, I think you speak to somebody and then you put it in writing because, as we know, I mean, 
working with people who'd been laid off, I have been, I, I will talk to them and they'll say, well, you know, I was let go, blah, blah, blah. But I think they're going to bring me back. You know, I don't know if they're really letting me go because what happens when people are hearing bad news, I find that we, we don't really want to hear it and we try to kind of sugarcoat it ourselves. And so we don't really hear it. So if you're telling me, here's these three things that I need you to improve on, you need to check my understanding. And even in that conversation, I would say, you know, now let's talk again. Let's get, let's, let's get some agreement on what it is that you need me to work on or that I need you to work on so we can make sure we're on the same page. And then you want to follow up and put it in writing. And all of that becomes a part of people's performance summaries. So let's call it, when you do it once a year, let's call it a summary. And there should be no surprises in your performance summary. And a lot of times managers are like, well, I told them. Well, you didn't tell them in a way that they heard you and you didn't check for understanding. And so this is one of the hardest things a leader has to do, but it's also one of the most important things a leader has to do. Yeah, and the leaders are called managers or supervisors. How does a company effectively train someone? You know, sometimes people have no experience managing people, and yet they're named the department manager. So yeah. how, how do they do that? I mean, how does somebody go from being a subordinate to all of a sudden a manager? What does the company need to do? Yeah, the, the biggest mistake employers make, and they've been making them since the beginning of time, is that they take a person who is the best at something, like maybe the best at research, the best at sales, and make them a manager. It'd be like saying, you're a great accountant. I'm going to make you a weathercaster. You're a great, <laughs> right? It's the same thing. The, there is a different skill set to leading people than there is in what's required to do the jobs that report to that leader. And so someone might have been a mediocre salesperson, but they would be a phenomenal leader of other salespeople. But we generally don't give them an opportunity because um, they weren't very good at sales. So how can they lead people who are selling? Well, of course they can. It's two separate skill sets. So the first thing we do is I think we select wrong. We put the wrong people in those roles. And then we expect that through osmosis, they're going to figure it out or they're going to, you know, they'll figure it out by trial and error, which is so costly, not only to their career, but to the, or potentially to the organization. And so first thing companies have to do, and I know you tell companies the same thing, is that you have to have clear and consistent policies that are administered consistently. So the expectation around, whether it's you know, um, how complaints will be handled or how vacation time will be used or how um, corrective action will be taken, whatever you want to call it, those things need to be spelled out as clearly as possible, but there, and there has to be a room, some room for interpretation. So if, if your policies are, this is how we're going to ha handle excessive absenteeism, that's not, that can't be used as, eh, you know, a suggestion. So I'm going to apply it differently to Jane than I do John. So if, if, if you hold Jane to different standards than you do John, based on this policy, you are obviously opening yourself up. And that's where we, our bias comes into play because, well, you know, Jane, she's, she's a single mother and, you know, so she needs more leeway. Where John, um, you know, he's a single guy, so he should be here every day. 
well, John happens to be African-American or John happens to be over 40, or there's something about John that could be interpreted that you're discriminating against. And so leaders, managers need to understand where they have leeway in terms of their interpretation and where they don't. And never ever leave a decision um, on whether to terminate to just one person. Never just let one manager decide whether to terminate someone. You have to have some sort of checks and balances to ensure consistency in the organization. And yeah, it's really hard. And people are just, are nothing more than one big gray area and one big blob <laughs> of know, exceptions. You know, Julie, it really seems to me that when you're looking for somebody to promote to be a manager or a supervisor, maybe the greatest skill set is their ability to communicate. Yeah. As opposed to their ability to do things, right? Yes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Take it. First of all, they have to, they have to take this role seriously. And part of the reason, part of the responsibility of a manager is not only to get stuff done in your purview, but it's also to lead, develop, engage the people that report to you. And if that doesn't excite you as a manager, then, and you're not trained in how to do that for your company's culture in an appropriate way, then you shouldn't be a manager. The, the, the goal, your role is not just to squeeze results out of your people by any means necessary. And we all know that there is some very, very poor management and leadership out there that leads people to your office. And part of it is it's inconsistency, but it's also leading through your ego. You know, I, you know, dang it, if you people don't start performing, <laughs> you know, you're going to be looking for another job. I got a line of people who want to replace you. Well, guess what? You know, in this type of economy, maybe that's going to work today, but it's not going to work once once the market starts to pick up again. And that's where people just go, all righty then. And they give you the bare minimum required to do the job. And that's not that that's not being a good leader. You know, this is hard. There's billions of books written about leadership and management, and we still are having the same problems. Um, but as an organization, you the, the top leadership of the organization should set the tone, develop the, the policies and procedures, train on them, and then implement them consistently. And if a manager is showing that they're not able to do that without causing trouble for the organization, they need to be taken out of that role because you're going to pay for it a thousand times over. Oh, yeah. I often think that people's ego pretty much drives their employee relations strategy. You know, either the manager's ego or the HR person's ego, it has to be right, as opposed to maybe reviewing the decision, getting somebody in there that's independent to look at yeah. the situation. I mean, how many times, Randy, have you guys been involved in a case or complaint, a charge where all the organization has to do is offer six-month severance and the whole thing would go oh. away? But they decide, no, no, damn it, this is wrong. And so we're going to take it all the way to court. Um, and they spend 10 times what they would have spent in six months severance by just being human and, and realizing that, you know what, when you let somebody go, there's failure on both sides. It's not just the person didn't, it's not just the person failed to do the job. It's you, you know, you were a part of that relationship as well. And so there's failure on both parts. And so severance, I think, can be seen as an acknowledgement that, um, that, you know, 
yeah, this didn't work the way either of us wanted it to. And it could have been poor hiring, poor training. It could have been a lot of things. But don't let your ego drive your decisions. It is so hard to put yourself in the other person's shoes because I have to admit, we get clients every once in a while from our previous cases. So we represent Jane. She was fired by Bob. And Bob is, you know, in the case, he's dead certain that he treated Jane correctly. And he's not outraged by the lack of severance or how they treated Jane on the way out the door. And then, you know, two or three years down the road, guess what happens? Bob gets fired and he doesn't get any severance or he's treated badly. And guess who he calls? (laughs) He he calls Jane's lawyer. (laughs) It's so funny. Oh really, my gosh. We get yeah, a number but- of people, we get a number of human resource people uh, that come to our office from previous cases we've been involved in. Wow. Because yeah. they they then get the same treatment that they were supporting giving somebody else. Oh my gosh. That makes me crazy. So it's just that general lack of self-awareness, you know, just really not understanding that, you know, you can't that, that consistency means consistency for you as well. If you're going to be in human resources and support really, really um, draconian sort of policies and procedures, you know, what makes you so special? What makes you think that they're not going to be applied to you as well? Because they will be. And that, that inconsistency, I think, is just a blind spot for a lot of people. All right, Julie, this has been a lot of fun today. I think we've basically, in a roundabout fashion, we've developed a bunch of rules this morning. So I think maybe I'll just go down a list of maybe eight, nine, 10 deadly sins for an employer. You know, the first one you talked about was, you know, treat people well when they leave. That's rule number one. Uh, Maybe rule number two is consistency, non-favoritism, have clear policies, and you have to apply them consistently. Rule three Maybe we just call that treating people like adults, give them a say in their careers, give them progressive discipline. Uh, The fourth rule is probably clear expectations, well communicated. Maybe rule number five is give both good and bad feedback in a timely manner. I think it's particularly important to give the bad feedback in a timely manner. Uh, we talked about training the managers well. It's, it's, you know, effective communication is so important for a manager, not just being able to do the particular job. Uh, number seven, we talked about egos getting in the way of decision-making and an employee relations strategy. Geez, rule number eight might be don't ignore the timing between complaints and terminations when somebody complains take when somebody complains take it seriously investigate it um and i think you also mentioned the the importance of reviewing terminations with an in- independent person yeah yeah i love this quote by stephen covey always treat your employees exactly as you want them to treat your best customers wow that's pretty good you know, yeah. Stephen Covey, I think, has sold a few books, hasn't he, Julie? He has, just a few. He's a wise man. And I think, <laughs> we know, I think we know why. You know, it's just being a decent human being outside of work and at work. And then as a leader in an organization, requiring that as really the, the pillar of your employee relations strategy. 
Well, you know, Julie, this has been a great time. We're running out of time. I'm going to close with uh, just the, the last rule I can think of for employers to think about when they're terminating somebody is to go read the emails. You know, a lot of, a lot of people think email stands for electronic mail. Well, lawyers think email stands for evidence mail. And so often, so often emails come back to bite the employer in litigation. So go through the boss's emails uh, when they're recommending somebody fired or particularly with a complaint of sexual harassment. I just had a sexual harassment case where we literally had 800 pages <gasps> of texts, emails, oh. and pictures oh. that were a surprise to the other side because they never looked for them. Oh. Ouch. Oh, yeah. oh it, was ab- it was absolutely brutal. Uh, when we actually got them, I guess they, they, they never thought we'd get them. I don't really understand that, but okay, Julie, we've got Ted, 10 deadly sins that employers commit. And if they don't commit those, they're probably going to be a pretty good employer. Yeah. Yeah. Free of legal troubles. Doesn't seem that hard to you and me, but apparently in execution it is because I I've been hearing these stories the entire my entire career and it honestly doesn't seem to be getting any better. Well, it keeps you in business. You help a lot of people I know manage their careers and moving from one job to another. And don't stick around if you're being treated like that. Don't stick around. You don't Absolutely. deserve to be treated like that. Well, everybody's a free agent. You know, if you're stuck in a miserable job, start looking. You know, employees are stubborn too. They, uh, I've been with this company, Randy, for 20 years. I don't want to leave. And I go, well, you've been treated miserably for three or four years. <laughs> Why aren't you looking? Yep. Anyway, yep. Julie, hey, let's All do right. this again sometime. Let's do. Take care, friend. Okay. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Terkel that I find valuable. Quote, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than apathy. In short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying, unquote. Let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefits. See you next time on Freaking Out About Work and please spread the word If you have enjoyed this podcast, tell your friends how easy it is to go to freakingoutabout.com. And freaking out about is all one word. Thank you, everyone.